Good morning. It's good to gather together, isn't it? Family of God, joining together, worshiping the Lord, uh, just exalting His Word, Him and His Word. Well, here's my question this morning. What is marriage? You know, it's something people look forward to as we grow up, isn't it? It's been around for many, many years, right? Even from the beginning. It takes place all over the world in every culture. It brings happiness and fulfillment to so many, but it also brings misery and heartache to many. You know, divorce is rampant in our modern American culture. And every marriage breakup is extremely painful. And you know, today, many couples are just skipping the official wedding step, you know, just to avoid a lot of that pain. But this morning, we're going to look into the subject of marriage, and we're going to look at some of some very valuable expert advice as to what marriage is all about. Now, we're not going to say everything about marriage, but we will look at some extremely valuable foundational uh, information about the marriage bond. And we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. Each passage has very valuable insight as to God's design for marriage and the marriage bond itself. And our first passage is from the Sermon on the Mount, and that's why we're doing this, because we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. But it's in chapter 5, and it's verses 31 and 32, but I want to begin with verse 31. It says, this is Jesus on the sermon, at, uh, speaking the Sermon on the Mount to the people that have come to him to listen to him. And he says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Sounds almost obvious, doesn't it? But what he's saying to these listeners is, This is what you've been taught. You've been taught that to divorce your wife, you must give your wife a certificate of divorce. Now, what Jesus is referring to are the teachings that they have been listening to, hearing from the teachers of the law, the law of Moses. And in Deuteronomy, in chapter 24, it says this exact thing. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, that sounds almost too easy, doesn't it? That process. Like, okay, is that all it takes? You're tired of your marriage? Hey, hand me that piece of paper. Well, there's a couple of things to note here. First of all, back then, you know, the context that we're going into is that men held all the power. You know, the final decision was always the men's, theoretically. 
Secondly, even though this sounds way too simple or way too easy for the man to call off the marriage, Moses actually wrote this law to stop men from abusing their power, their, you know, the, the, the advantage that they had in the marriage covenant. This writing, this, this law from Moses, brought in a little bit of a legal process in order to get the divorce, other than just them being able to just make a statement or kick the wife out of the house. It was so, you know, divorces were so common, they were, Moses was trying to regulate it in some sense. It was meant to slow down the spontaneous marriage breakups that were going on. And that's because, you know, man's leadership in the family or headship as designed by God wasn't meant for him to become a tyrannical ruler. The headship position was meant for him to provide for and protect his family. It was meant for him to lead his family in the ways of the Lord, to keep his family pointed toward the Lord, worshiping the Lord, serving him. And the man was supposed to be willing to sacrifice himself for his family. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians, where Jesus sacrificed himself out of love for us. So Moses required the divorce certificate to stop the willy-nilly, kick-the-woman-out-of-the-house solution to marriage problems. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 24, where this comes from, <clears throat> it says husbands can only divorce their wives or give them a certificate of divorce if he discovers some shameful thing in her. Now, it didn't go in to explain what that shameful thing was, but if you look into the, the way those words were used, shameful thing, it had to do with usually immorality. So people, you know, scholars think that it usually has to do with, you know, sexual immorality, adultery, things like that. And the certificate of, of divorce was meant to protect wives since man had all the authority. It was meant to bring down, to pare down the numbers of just kicking women out of the house. So now we are here in Jesus' day, and Jewish men were turning this command into just an easy divorce tool, you know, emptying the true meaning of the passage, and again, <clears throat> leaving the wife at a great disadvantage. And you know, that's what happens when a society or a community drifts away from God, if they were with God at any time anyway. <clears throat> when they drift away from God, people start acting very selfishly. And they start acting for their own benefit. And that's what happens. You know, people just generally do drift away from God. <clears throat> but now, let me read verses 31 and 32 together. It has been said, Jesus talking... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, 
makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is really clamping down on the husband's disrespectful attitude here. He's really addressing the man's abuse of power that he was supposed to use for his wife's good. But if he becomes very selfish, he just uses it to serve himself. So first Jesus says that a legitimate divorce only comes from the wife committing sexual immorality. And see, we're talking about the man kicking wives out of the house, right? So we're talking about from the man's point of view. And that would basically be, you know, adultery or prostitution or just that kind of sin. And the reason Jesus says the husband has the prerogative to divorce for sexual immorality is because that act of immorality has already broken the marriage bond. But if the wife has not been involved sexually outside of the marriage, then that marriage bond is still intact no matter what the reason the husband kicked her out for. The husband and wife are still married in God's eyes. That's why verse 32 says, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery because the bond is still intact in God's eyes. That's the way he designed it. That's the way he created it. And the reason that Jesus says this is because often in that culture, when women were kicked out, they would get remarried. You know, their parents would take them back and find another husband for them because that's the only way they were taken care of, unless by their parents. And so that was happening. Jesus doesn't say these things just theoretically. He says them according to what's happening in the culture. And he says, this illegitimate divorce sets the wife up as a victim of adultery because she's actually still married to her husband. And so instead of the husband using his headship to protect protect his wife and provide for her, he was often victimizing her into an act of adultery. How manly is that? And then anyone who marries his ex-wife becomes an adulterer because in God's eyes, that marriage bond hasn't been broken. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's coming down pretty hard because they've been used to a lot differently than that. He's really coming down against that flippant attitude toward the permanence of the marriage bond. And, you know, we see that today in our culture, don't we? There's a flippant attitude towards the permanence of the marriage bond. He's also coming down hard on men and their abuse of the headship of the family or leadership of the family. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's also revealing how far off the mark the religious teachers were in his day. And, you know, we've mentioned before that the Jewish religious teachers would so often take the commands of God 
and rework them to their own advantage, formularize them into something that benefited themselves, and in the process, empty them of their meaning. That's what happens so often. That's why Jesus comes and says, you have heard this, but I tell you this. You have heard this, but I'm going to tell you what the verse really means. And that's why Jesus also had to cut to the heart, to the intentions and feelings of the heart in order to correct their teachings. Their hearts were not right with God. They were dealing from self-centeredness, hearts that were just focused upon themselves. And they weren't protecting their wives, they were just casting them out there. And therefore, their rules and their teachings became weapons of control and dominion. So we see the permanence of the marriage bond. We see how the religious leaders manipulated the scriptures to their own advantage and in in essence, emptied them of their meaning. And now I want to show you another marriage passage that sheds more light on the marriage bond. You know, God's design of the marriage bond. It's in chapter 19 of Matthew. And I want to begin with verse 3, because that gets us to right to the where we're wanting to go. Matthew 19, 3, and we'll be going through verse 9. But look at this first of all. It says, some Pharisees came to test him. That means they're trying to trap him, trap him in his words, or make him look bad, or throw something at him that he can't answer, or make him contradict himself. They came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, on the surface, that sounds like a silly question, doesn't it? Can a man divorce his wife for any reason he wants to, anything he thinks up? But you see, the Pharisees are really going back to that same passage that we talked about before, Deuteronomy chapter 24. And it says, to divorce his wife, he must write here a certificate of divorce. And that's if he discovers something shameful in her or indecent in her. And so the reason they ask Jesus if a man can divorce his wife for any and every reason is because in the days of Jesus, there were two schools of thought of what that meant. And those two schools of thought came from two highly respected rabbis in the days just before Jesus. Rabbi Shammai taught that a husband finding out something indecent or shameful in his wife, had to do with sexual immorality. So that would be the reason a husband could write her a certificate of divorce. But Rabbi Hillel, he taught that that indecent thing could be anything that displeased him. Because in the passage it talks about displeasing the husband. So... Uh, Rabbi Hillel took that phrase and used that as the basis for why a man could divorce his wife. And even in the writings back then, it says, even if she burnt his supper. 
So the Pharisees are coming off of Rabbi Hillel's teaching that a husband could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. And so they're asking Jesus this because this is a teaching that has been passed down and some took the school of Shammai and some took the school of Hillel for what they believed it said. And so they're asking him, it's, it's not as silly as it seems on the, at the surface, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason like, like Rabbi Hillel taught? But look at Jesus' answer in the next three verses, four through six. <clears throat> haven't you, now this is amazing if you look at this, what Jesus does. First of all, haven't you read? It's funny, when Jesus talked to the Pharisees and they would come up there to test him or something, he would come back with, haven't you read your Bibles? And these were supposed to be experts in the scriptures, right? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. That sounds different, a different approach to take. And said, is that right? Yeah. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So he's going back to creation, right? And the man and woman coming together in marriage. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. <clears throat> so Jesus goes back to creation, the creation of human beings, to explain the marriage bond. He created them male and female. That's very important. And the male makes a break with his family unit, his family of origin, and then unites with his wife to become a new family unit. As a married couple, they join together and become one flesh. That's the whole plan. That's, that's the design of God. And because that union is from God and his creation of male and female, he did that very purposefully, of course. It is from God himself, and no one is supposed to break it apart. And that is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the marriage bond is still there except in the case of sexual unfaithfulness, because then that breaks it. So the permanency of the marriage bond goes back to God's original creation of male and female. And as you might guess, the Pharisees don't like that answer. So they ask him, well, what about that certificate of divorce that Moses said we could do? Why then, they asked in verse 7, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, they probably think that they've caught Jesus here. <clears throat> They think they have some scripture that's going to call him up short. But look at his uh, answers in 8 and 9. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was because you were sinful that he permitted this. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, 
and marries another woman commits adultery. <clears throat> you see, the Pharisees, <clears throat> they go around acting like they are the holy ones, living by the scriptures while they look down their noses at the, reg- the common person who doesn't spend their days reading the scriptures as if they're the riffraff peasants who don't know the scriptures. But Jesus asks them, don't you read the scriptures? And he said the reason Moses permitted the certificate of divorce was to try to bring some kind of order into a climate of selfishness and rampant abuse of power. And isn't that the reason today why so many laws have to be made? You know, as our country moves further and further away from God, as, as a smaller percentage of our nation believes in God, we have to make more and more laws. You know, when a community of people care for each other, are willing to give up for each other, are willing to step in and pick up the slack where somebody else drops, there isn't as near as much of a need for laws or regulations. But when individuals start taking advantage of the situation for selfish reasons, then laws have to be considered to protect the less powerful. And the certificate of divorce was to try to help protect women from men abusing their authority. So Jesus again says, well, I'm reading it again, says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And why is adultery? Why is it adultery if the divorce isn't due to sexual immorality? Because the original marriage bond isn't broken in the eyes of God, except for sexual immorality. Now, here's the tough part. We are way past this point in our culture, aren't we? And in so many cultures. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we lived in this, you know, kind of lower middle class neighborhood uh, where new families or young families would move into. And... I didn't know any families that didn't have two parents. And all of a sudden, one moved in, a a young lady with her, well, I I was just like a middle schooler or so, but this young mother with two children moved in, and she was a rarity. You know, she was divorced. Now, it's just like everywhere, isn't it? What can we do? Well, we can teach our children the permanency of God's marriage bond. And we can teach our grandchildren this, right? We can teach this. It goes against the grain, but we can teach this to our children and grandchildren. We can show them these passages. I've discovered, and I'm just throwing this in at this point, but, you know, you talk to people about the Bible if you're telling them about Jesus. And I've discovered, because it was told to me, that when you let them read it for themselves even those who don't ever look at the Bible, 
if you tell them something that the Bible says and you let them read it, that really hits them a lot harder than just you saying it. And I know you don't always have your Bible with you, but when you have that chance, you know, and even with your children, if you can show them where the Bible says and let them read the words themselves, I think it makes a greater impact. We can teach our children, our grandchildren. We should probably show these passages to our children at an age where they respond by, what are you talking about, Dad? I don't even like girls. It might be too early, but I'm thinking get it to them early. How sacred the marriage bond is. How God has devised, divine, devised that marriage bond, designed that marriage bond to be very sacred and to be very scared to ever, you know, hurt somebody else's marriage bond. Because Jesus took it very seriously. He goes all the way back to creation. When God created the human, you know, humanity, men and women, he created them with that marriage bond, you know, as part of it. And he created the male and female for that marriage bond. He made male and female, created them to go together. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. So it's very, very important to him. And it holds societies together. It holds families together. It makes such a difference if we really respect that marriage bond and the sacredness of it. So what about those for whom it's a little late? <clears throat> well, again, they can teach it to their children, even if it's late for them. How about people who are in different kind of situations? Abuse, mistreatment, harmful behavior by the spouse. Well, I think in those situations, those are like, I want to say out of the ordinary situations, they're probably getting more common, but in those situations, safety is first. You, you seek safety. You go to the, whatever it takes to be in a safe place and then make your plans from that safe place. Don't stay in a place where there's physical threat or there's you know, great harm to come. We want to promote the sacredness of the marriage bond, but we don't want people risking their lives or getting hurt. We want to strongly encourage working through marriage problems. You know, today it's so easy for someone because of no-fault divorce and irreconcilable differences, which so many people you know, put down as the reason. It's so easy to get a divorce, basically. And oftentimes one partner doesn't want it, and one does, but the one who wants it you know, has the power. <clears throat> so we want people as much as possible to try to work through marriage problems because that bond is so sacred to God. And if you listened as much as I do to these, to these different podcasts or shows, man, you hear some horrible marriages that have become great marriages where now this couple is... Uh, is teaching others and writing books and holding seminars and being invited to all kinds of, you know, radio shows because their horrible marriage came all the way back and became a great marriage. 
We want to promote the importance and sacredness of the marriage bond. But then we don't want people being at risk for their safety. Now, you know, from here on, you know, I, there's so much we haven't said this morning about marriage and all the different problems and, all, and divorce and everything like that. So I'm not trying to just simplify it and say it's just this one answer. But you know, the bottom line in all of this, and there's so many other things we could say with so many details coming in to different marriage problems and family problems and that sort of thing. <clears throat> but it all boils down in the Christian faith to this. Where is your heart? Are we truly trying to please God and follow his ways? Or is our first response trying to make ourselves happy? You know, I've heard so many people say, but doesn't God want my happiness? Well, I guess, I suppose he does but he wants us faithful. And thousands of unhappy marriages become very fulfilling when God's ways are put in, in practice in the marriage. And when our hearts are truly right with God, in all areas, the, the pieces of the puzzle start fitting together. When we get our hearts right with God and we seek counsel from people that are able to help us in that way, and we're around people who know the Lord and who can give us good advice, the pieces start falling together, even in times when it looks like there was no way. So really, and that was the problem with the Pharisees, right? Because they were so far off because their hearts weren't toward God. Their hearts were toward selfishness and control and abuse. And Well, abuse just came from the selfishness. But it's pleasing God first and finding our fulfillment in him. And then that turns us into new creations, new creatures. And it turns our marriages into whole new relationships. And Jesus, again, was addressing here the self-centered, power-hungry, false religious leaders. And we can avoid so much of that mess by giving our hearts to God first and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the teachings that you give us in your word. And we thank you that Jesus walked the earth and gave us so much just in his words. And we thank you that people wrote them down, wrote down his words, and now we have them. They were preserved by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we, we pray that our hearts would be good toward you, they would be true toward you, and that we would always check our motives. And if that's right, then a lot of other things will fall into place. And may we encourage one another toward godliness, toward hearts that follow you, towards good marriages, and may we be a help to others who are just lost in this area. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.